Today on State Tube's Priorities Podcast from Scoop News Group, a new phase of the smart cities movement. The promise of the smart city and the promise that the smart city can, um, again, with intentionality address the equity issues that have been plaguing our communities for so long is really intriguing. Why budgeting for IT and cyber has changed for cities. Making sure that you are budgeted for this type of technology to drive, you know, innovation, but also drive public safety and awareness in your community. It is a monumental piece of your budget now, and it's a must-have for your budget. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world and learn about the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening this week. The National Telecommunications and Information Administration says it's awarding more than $630 million in tribal broadband grants this month. The spree of grant funding will reach a total of 25 tribal entities spread across 13 states and is part of the agency's tribal broadband connectivity program. The largest award, about $50.1 million, will go to the Navajo Utility Authority to build out fiber. Officials in Lexington, Kentucky, say the city lost about $4 million in federal housing assistance funds to an email fraud scheme. The theft includes three wire transfers of funds for emergency rental assistance and transitional housing to a private bank account. A malicious actor allegedly impersonated an email account belonging to a local housing group to steal the money. Mesa County, Colorado, Deputy Clerk Belinda Nisley is pleading guilty to three misdemeanor charges based on her participation in a May 2021 incident in which she and the county elections director allegedly allowed a 2020 election denier to attend a routine software update on the county's vote tabulation equipment. Nisley also agreed to testify against her boss, Mesa County, Colorado Clerk Tina Peters, in the case. You can read these stories and more at statescoop.com. You'll also find links in today's show notes. Louisville, Kentucky's Metro Council is unanimously codifying the city county's open data practice and portal into law. The move ensures that Louisville's open data portal sticks around a decade after it was created via executive order. Grace Simrall, the Metro government's chief of civic innovation technology, oversees the portal. I talked to her before the council vote. She tells me what's next. Well, um, one thing that we're celebrating this week is uh, the movement towards codifying um, open data. Um, So since 2013, we've had an executive order um, designed to to ensure that we are open by default when it comes to data. Now, uh, many, again, public entities have um, statutes and ordinances that govern open records. Um, we're making a distinction here where open data is data, the information that is in a machine readable format, um, you know, used by both residents and businesses to answer questions, you know, inform uh, decisions that they're making, and certainly for our own policymakers um, to educate them and, and help them when they are drafting legislation. So um, we were really excited to have a council member um, want to sponsor this as an ordinance. So taking a further step from just being an executive order to, to codifying it into law. And um, it passed out of our equity and inclusion committee unanimously yesterday. So we're, we're excited that we are just one more step away from making it uh, an ordinance for our city. To give you, you know, the listeners a sense of what an impact this is, you know, since um, we've had an open data portal, the usage stats have just increased exponentially over time. Um, at this point, we're talking about 18,000 page views a month. Um, across lots of different data sets, you know, the whatever's the number one set varies 
you know, again, depending on what might be the hot topic in our community. Um, but, you know, certainly when the pandemic came around, it became a critical resource for us to both provide a dashboard, but also the underlying data um, so that our residents could make the best decisions about how they should uh, go about their lives. And so, um, you know, when we're talking about 18,000 page views, that's 18,000 fewer open records requests that are being made on our open records um, agency and departments. It means that residents get the information they're looking for that much faster. I mean, our average session is about two minutes. So we can't speak to most communities, but certainly ours, when you're calling 311, you could have very long wait times. Um, and so just putting that power into the hands of residents um, is, is uh, exactly what we're looking for to make it so much more easier for them, allow them to self-service, uh, you know, getting information. It's, um, we're really proud of the work. What really has helped carry that momentum going? I mean, you talked about the traffic data, which is, is super important, but now with this ordinance sort of on the table and hopefully coming into, into law, um, you know, how, how have you maintained momentum around open data as, a, as an idea and as a concept that, that you're helping to evangelize and push across government? Well, I think one of the most interesting things for us is, in fact, how often our own agencies use the open data portal to get access to their colleagues' data. So you might have uh, one department, um, again, needing information, and they know that they can go to the open data portal to get it um, without having to inquire a different agency for the information. Same thing with Metro Council members. Frequently, they need information to be able to inform their decision making and their policy making. And um, you know, being able to point them to the link on the open data portal uh, is is great. I think that you know it's incumbent on us to to do everything we can to be transparent with our residents and make sure that they know why we do the things we do, what information we're collecting when we deliver services to them. And, um, and so by having that all, again, be open by default with good metadata around it, contextual information um, is, is important towards maintaining and establishing trust in government. So that's one aspect that I think is really important. The other aspect is we actively engage the community. We did a lot more before the pandemic. As you can imagine, we had to stop things like hackathons and co-creation sessions, idea jams. Um, during the pandemic, it was very difficult to try and pull these off virtually. We did hold one hackathon during the pandemic with a local university around ideas to close the digital divide, which um, was in fact very well attended, but just difficult to do. Um, there's there's some magic when you bring people together in person. And so we're really looking forward to getting to a point where we can do that again and um, and work with the civic tech community, with the public at large, with um, specific community groups around co-creation with data. You know, that, that collaboration, I think, with the different communities that you serve, but also the different communities that you, you have around you uh, is so, so important. I mean, what are some of these other activities that you have underway that you're you're collaborating with folks on and that really is driving some of that change you know across the across the overall government um really a lot of interesting things that are going to come out of the smart city movement so um i think that there's again we're, we're going to be at uh smart city expo us very soon but um the promise of the smart city and the promise that the smart city can, um, again, with intentionality address the equity issues that have been plaguing our communities for so long is really intriguing to myself and to other leaders in the civic innovation space. Um, 
we're moving beyond just having uh, tech solutions in search of a problem. And instead that real true public-private partnership around co-creation and collaboration to solve some of our most urgent and, uh, and deeply impactful problems in our community, whether that's, you know, challenges around mobility and transportation, um, uh, climate resilience, um, public safety. I mean, really cities have opportunities and I am thrilled to see that we are starting to move in the direction of um, these smart city technologies helping us realize some solutions to right-sized aspects of those problems. The the interesting thing that I've seen is that sort of post-pandemic, I've seen some buzz online uh, of people sort of decrying the uh, the end of the word and the phrase smart city. There's a, there's some criticism there, and I'm curious your take on that. I mean, it's it's in a lot of ways very empowering for cities, but it can also be a little detracting. I think is the is the argument against it. So so where do you land on that? I mean, how are you feeling about the movement nowadays? Uh, we still embrace the term, of course. Uh, we were very deliberate about defining what it meant for us. So um, from a, a vision and mission standpoint, we published a smart city playbook and we chose to do a playbook format. This was back in 2018 um, because we knew it would be a living document. And so it was really important to start with the values of um, our smart city approach um, and have everything grounded in that before we talked about then um, the you know what we might be able to do together with technologies, enabling technologies. Um, we've always looked at, again, the promise of the smart city to help us do one of two things, sometimes in concert. So um, leveraging data and technology to either sense and react faster to emerging challenges, kind of acute shocks to the system, but then also help us predict and plan better for the the more chronic stressors that are plaguing our communities. And so um, that that's really where we stand. Now, I think like many communities, we realized very early on that to, to really, again, realize the full potential, we would absolutely have to address the connectivity challenge around deploying Internet of Things devices at scale um, that was cost effective. And so the city has, in fact, made some very strategic investments in municipal middle mile fiber to allow for um, us to be able to scale deployment um, without worrying so much about cost. And so when cities are, again, on their smart city journey, they absolutely need to figure out how they want to address that. There's certainly opportunities like the bipartisan, bipartisan infrastructure law, NTIA's middle mile infrastructure challenge, unlocks that opportunity for other cities that uh, you know, I mean, since I've been with um, Louisville Metro government, we've grown our middle mile fiber network from about 21 miles of linear fiber, um, sorry, 21 linear miles of fiber to uh, over 126. So significant increase. We are consolidated city county government. And that meant we took it from just concentrated in our downtown core to stretching across all four corners of the county um, along major traffic corridors. We still have missing holes in the map. We always knew this would be a phased approach. And so we're looking to, to you know, significantly increase that so that we cover every single major traffic corridor. We also recognize that um, fiber might not necessarily be the right final mile um, connectivity method for the particular Internet of Things device. And so we've done experimentation, even during the pandemic, around things like private LTE to test broadening our reach and um, geographically 
uh, and, and kind of measuring the load of how much, how many devices we can connect. So really interesting things for cities to explore. Um, as part of their smart city journey. So we've, we've talked about it a couple of times. You, you will indeed be out and speaking at the Smart City Expo USA. Uh, what can we expect from you? What are you what are you excited to see? What are you excited to say? Uh, and what are you excited to uh, take home after the event? Well, I'm always eager to learn from my peers. I think that's um, one thing that has really drawn me to the work of civic innovation, which is that it's not a zero-sum game. Right? If you're in the private sector, eh, you sometimes you can um, be very... Uh, wary of sharing information with competitors um, in the city space, there is no such thing, right? So I'm always eager to learn what other cities are doing. Um, I love to see that we're experimenting on different aspects of the same problems, or maybe even completely different problems. And so, um, you know, certainly eager to share what we've learned and, and um, both to help other cities not repeat our mistakes um, right, and learn how to feel forward, but also to celebrate and replicate and adopt and adapt our successes. So, um, I, you know, there really isn't any aspect of, um, of the tracks that I'm not looking forward to. I, I believe I'm going to be talking about, again, um, uh, ex collaborating beyond your uh, city's geographic boundaries. So just for those who are listening and aren't familiar, Louisville, Kentucky, largest city in the Commonwealth of Kentucky, we sit on the border of the Ohio River and Southern Indiana. And so we not only have to collaborate, um, you know, with the, the counties around us within Kentucky, but we also have to reach across state boundaries and, and collaborate with those in, in Southern Indiana. That was very, very true during the pandemic. All right, because again, we had residents who live and work across the river. Um, so we absolutely had to take a larger regional approach when we were monitoring and responding to the pandemic and, um, and just really fantastic lessons learned about that experience. Grace Simrall, Chief of Civic Innovation and Technology at Louisville Metro Government. You can read more about smart cities and open data at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. You can also catch Grace and many others at the Smart City Expo USA event in Miami, Florida on September 14th through the 15th. You'll find registration links in today's show notes as well. I'm Jake Williams, host of State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Next week on the show, California Secretary of Government Operations Amy Tong talks about what her elevation from state CIO to a cabinet-level operations lead means for the state's IT. You can subscribe to the podcast at PrioritiesPodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Union City, Georgia, a city in the metro Atlanta area, is looking for opportunities to collaborate with other, quote, smart governments in the area around public safety, data sharing, and connectivity. The city's mayor, Vince Williams, is leading those efforts. He's also the president of the National League of Cities. Williams tells me about how he's approaching the smart cities movement in Union City. This conversation around technology, smart cities, whatever you want, however you want to slice it, is very important to all cities. You know, and one of the things that you know we're looking at here in Union City as we uh, try to envision what a smart city looks like, you know, it's just you know making sure that current technology and innovative policies uh, are designed uh, as a way that will not only uh, enhance connectivity and, 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 and innovation, but also connect people 
uh, as we continue to do what we're doing. We're utilizing uh, innovative technology uh, in our police departments uh, with certainly the body cameras. Everybody have, has heard so much about those over the past couple of years with a number of incidents that have occurred where body cameras were not existent or even the uh, body cameras did assist in some of the uh, testimony that needed to be given. But, you know, uh, not just body cameras, flock cameras uh, that cities are using across the country that allows uh, those cameras to kind of take a snapshot of what's going on, even not just in your city, but a, a neighboring city that may be using a flock camera as well. And also uh, license uh, tag readers. Those are very innovative opportunities to catch bad guys, you know, to make sure that, you know, we're keeping communities safe. But, you know, there are a lot of uh, aspects to utilizing this technology. You know, one of the things we want to, um, to focus on is, you know, cities across the country are utilizing, you know, innovative policies and design tools to improve the lives of their constituency. I can tell you uh, the city of Philadelphia says, its definition has evolved to be more centered on humanity and equity. And other cities say they've shifted from a tech first to a resident first approach. That's, uh, that's key right there when you want to make sure that the residents know that their tax dollars, but also their local leaders are focusing on what's important to them. And first and foremost, it's about public safety. So, you know, uh, it, it's a lot we can discuss around that and um, you know, unpack. But I tell you, you know, cities across the nation are extremely engaged and involved. I know right here in Union City, one of the things we uh, have really invested heavily in are the cameras I was talking about, you know, the flock cameras, the, uh, the body cameras, and certainly the uh, uh, license plate readers. But also we have invested heavily in uh, our, our IT technology because we are hearing this growing trend of cities that are being attacked. You know, oftentimes people feel like, you know, because you're a small city that you're probably not going to really get involved in that. Those are the first cities that uh, infiltrators will attack first, a small cities because they think they are not as equipped or as inept around this uh, innovation of technology. So that's one of the things we have invested heavily in is making sure that our technology across the board is 21st century. Yeah, it's a lot of lot of room there to, to go into. I definitely want to talk about yeah. the IT piece in a little bit, but mm -hmm. I want to talk. You you mentioned the you know tech first, uh, moving to resident first instead. Yes, uh, yes, this is a transition that we're seeing not just mayors and and elected leaders embrace, but but also uh, you know CIOs and IT directors from cities right. and counties and states across the country. Um, this is an interesting shift because I, I think it's actually can be challenging, right? Because it the, can be, the yeah. idea of this tech first, right, comes from, you know, cities and governments knowing that they need to embrace technology to be more modernized and to be more responsive to the needs mm -hmm. of their constituents. But then sort of shifting to that resident first, uh, you have to do that with that technology in mind. Can you can you talk a little bit about how that shift and how that decision you know making process goes, sort of knowing that you need to incorporate technology, but not that it needs to live and die when it comes to tech. Well, one, one of the things I can share with you, you know, when we embarked on uh, certainly implementing a lot of these uh, uh, opportunities in our community, several years ago, there was a real pushback on cameras. 
you know, uh, people were, well, this is big brother spying on me. Well, you know, as time evolved and things started happening and more people started getting more sophisticated, even your residents getting sophisticated around technology, they saw the real need. But what we do, we certainly have conversations with our community to talk about some of the things uh, that are going to not only make us, you know, uh, uh, a part of the 21st century, but also keep communities safer, keep their children safer, keep schools safer, you know, uh, keep their opportunities uh, while they're out, you know, uh, visiting the local parks and different things like that. That's one of the things we wanted to make sure that we had conversation with our community to make sure that they understand, you know, that this is something that we must do not just because we want to do it, but because it is a necessity. You know, uh, public safety is uh, probably the first priority for every local government leader across this nation. You know, uh, and I would have to uh, take a uh, a second look at a, a city that says public safety is not priority one, you know, but uh, as the world becomes more and more connected each day, cities certainly will increasingly integrate smart city projects to do all sorts of things, you know, uh, including, you know, uh, as I say, public safety, but also driving sustainability efforts, building resilience in your communities, but importantly, center equity in the decision-making process. And that's, you know, that's something we are very honed in on, is making sure that we include everyone in the discussion when we talk about uh, these smart city solutions. From your perspective, I mean, how essential is it for a mayor to be involved and in contact with the city IT director and to be a part of those decisions about how even some of the more wonky technical things like cybersecurity, like ransomware, uh, how they affect city operations? Uh, Jake, that's a great question and, uh, and a great segue to this. You know, we, we must remember that it's not just flying cars and robots or a city that looks like the Jetsons, you know, uh, it's deploying everyday technologies or modern innovations, you know, that improve communities and also improve the quality of life of the residents that reside in our communities. So it's very important for me as a local leader, as the mayor of my city, to have real heart-to-heart uh, robust discussions with our IT departments, our IT deliverers, to make sure that we are getting not only what we pay for, but what are we missing? You know, those are the things we have to hone in on. What are the things that we're missing when it comes to uh, cybersecurity? You know, uh, I had to have a whole training for, for staff because your staff can be your number one uh, issue when it comes to cybersecurity. And we gotta make sure that they are abreast of, you know, uh, how people try to squirm into your systems. And uh, oftentimes it is first and foremost, uh, jumping into uh, our email systems. You know, and when you really look at how this process works uh, from cybersecurity, you know, uh, and a villain will take anywhere from 200 to 325 days of looking at you, you know, uh, from your uh, internet systems to determine how and where's the weakest link, you know. So those are things that you know I, as a mayor, can have some real uh, discussion with my department heads, but also, most importantly, uh, that person that provides uh, cybersecurity support for us to make sure that we are certainly uh, um, 
uh, uh, being innovative, if you will, but also making sure we're protecting uh, the goods of the city. Let's shift gears a little bit. You know, I mean, you're so you're president of the National League of Cities. Uh, so, so by the very nature of that role, collaboration is something that's really important to you, I'm sure. Uh, oh, but, sorry. but tell me a little bit about how how in Union City you're working to collaborate with other jurisdictions, collaborate. You're in the you know the the Greater Atlanta area. Collaborate right. with some of the other cities and and counties in your in your area. Right, and and one of the great things, and and thank you for that. One of the great things. Uh, that we have here in the metro Atlanta area, which is where I reside. I'm in the same county that uh, that houses the city of Atlanta, you know, our big sister city, if you will. But, you know, we also have some of the most innovative uh, institutions, you know, Georgia Tech, one of the most uh, celebrated technology schools in the country. You know, so we work a great deal with uh, those young people there, uh, but we managed to do you know, a lot of the things that we do to take advantage of technology and expertise in the film industry. As you know, Georgia is uh, probably the film capital of, of this, the, uh, the nation right now. You know, but one of the things we do is making sure that we are in tune with our sister cities. Uh, we make sure that there is an opportunity uh, where we can find one as it relates to partnership or collaborating on an initiative. We have a number, and that's how we do it with the flock cameras and the, um, the license plate readers. If we don't have a relationship or a partnership with assisted cities, it doesn't make sense for us to have that, uh, that, uh, that equipment and our other neighbors are not utilizing it because it allows us to be able to keep uh, not just my city safe, but the region safe. So, you know, having a great relationship with Mayor Andre Dickens and a number of the other mayors in, in, in uh, the, the uh, Metro Atlanta area has been a huge benefit. You know, when you think about the transformation of our community, you know, uh, grew from almost non-existent use of technology to where we are today, we could not have accomplished a lot of what we're doing, you know, with the support of our sister cities and even our local businesses, because, you know, they have to support, you know, this message around smart city solutions, but also public safety solutions as well. We, we've we've said smart cities a couple of times. I think it's such an interesting uh, the smart cities movement is in such an interesting place, right? I mean, I think pre-pandemic, uh, very focused on sort of the the as you said, flying cars, the hot technology of the day. Mm -hmm. um, you know, now in this stage of the pandemic, much different conversations happening uh, around the idea of of smart cities. So, I guess to put it, you know, bluntly, uh, how do you see smart cities in 2022? I mean, where do you see the movement uh, going? Where do you see it at right now? Well, I, I will have to tell you, you know, um, I'm proud of what cities are doing right now. I mean, I think about what we've done here in Union City. You know, we paved the way for a whole string of remarkable uh, next level accomplishments for our city, you know, in a very short period of time. Because, you know, uh, technology is evolving even as we speak right now. And I think about when I first got elected in 2007, you know, we were struggling to have a website. You know, so, you know, that's something, you know, that uh, is uh, paramount, a 
across the nation right now, you know, that you must be engaged in uh, technology to be able to move your city forward. But, you know, as we've set the city on course for a more prosperous and exciting future, this was largely because we embraced the emerging technologies that were in front of us and probably uh, as we continue to move forward and, 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 uh, swiftly uh, to make sure that we're still engaged with that. And certainly with the skills in the Atlanta metro area, it has benefited us and also harnessed, you know, the relationships needed uh, to grow partnerships. Uh, we have both with uh, regional businesses and with other governments in our community. So as we continue to move uh, even past 2022 and on to uh, uh, the future, you know, it is going to be important that it is not only, and I just left a budget meeting. I'll tell you this. Uh, I look now as what we budget for uh, IT uh, and, 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 and I think about in 2007 uh, when I first got elected, where it was really extremely minimal. When I say extremely minimal, I don't even want to say uh, the figure. It was, it was ridiculous. And now making sure that you're budgeted for this type of technology to drive, you know, innovation, but also drive public safety and awareness in your community. It is a monumental uh, piece of your budget now, and it's a must-have for your budget. Tell me a, a little bit about what, what you're bringing to the table at Smart City Expo USA, and, and maybe most importantly, what you're hoping to get uh, from your peers across the community. Well, look, I am looking forward to being there and certainly being able to uh, take a look at some of the uh, the futuristic innovations that we have uh, to look forward to, but also hearing what other cities are doing that we might not be doing. You know, uh, certainly, you know, we don't profess to be uh, the, the 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 leader in innovation in Union City. You know, we are a small metropolis uh, in the heart of Metro Atlanta, and looking forward to continue to. Uh, support wherever we can, because collaboration is going to be key in all of these discussions, especially at the uh, the, the conference uh, that we'll, we'll certainly be attending. And I hope you're going to be there as well, you know, so certainly looking forward to that because, you know, as we continue to uh, grow our communities, provide public safety, uh, provide education, because that is, that that's another piece that we didn't really talk about, you know, how important it is in our school systems that we support innovation, but also allow our children to experience that innovation, because they are the ones that are going to create the innovation of the future. Mayor Vince Williams of Union City, Georgia. You can read more about his efforts and smart cities at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. He'll also be at the Smart City Expo USA event in Miami, Florida on September 14th to the 15th. You'll find registration links for that in today's show notes once again. The Priorities Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't already, please leave a review or a rating on the podcast page. They make it more likely that more people find the show. This podcast is a production of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped put it together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm your host, Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.